Please be aware, the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases even offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Welcome, heathens! Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night, monsters lurking under your bed or deep in the forest, that unknown creature lurking just out of sight, and frighteningly imagined creatures, ghosts, supernatural beings, and even some unsolved mysteries just for fun. So, sit back. Grab your favorite drink and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, we're looking into men, bizarre disappearances, and because it's so effing hot, the Arctic. Maybe some cool thoughts might cool me down a little bit. So... With that said, we will still be playing our drinking game. And as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation is yours, my darlings, so choose your poison accordingly. Just make sure mine is a really cold one, because it is just too flippin' hot. Alright, now for the game part. How about every time I say Franklin... That will be a single shot. And every time I say expedition, that will be a double shot. All right. Now that the business end is out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's dark enigma. So don your very best seafaring outfit and grab some Dramamine because we're diving deep into the mysterious doomed journey to the end of the earth. Mwahaha. I don't know why, but that felt like it needed a mwahaha. I hope you feel the same. Anyways, humans have always had a strong drive towards exploration. Whether it's land, ocean, or even space, we have an innate sense of wonder about our world and an instinctual desire to prod at its very boundaries and an irresistible need to know what lies over that next hill, that next wave, or indeed beyond that next planet. It's this spirit of exploration that thrums at the heart of our civilization, an engine of enlightenment that has propelled the advancement of human achievement since time immemorial. In the annals of great explorers, there have been those who were successful in their endeavors to expand our world. And then there have been others who, while perhaps having grandiose goals, have disappeared into the wilds of the world, never to be seen again. In many cases, these lost expeditions and the circumstances of their doom have become enduring mysteries, every bit as compelling as the things that they had hoped to discover. In one such case of an ambitious expedition that had vanished into the realm of mystery, 
is of an exploration team known as the Franklin Expedition, which in 1845 sailed from England into the great northern cold at the edges of our very mapped world, only to never be heard from again. The expedition was launched in the spring of 1845 with the goal of trying to find the legendary Northwest Passage. Back in 1845, there was a great preoccupation with finding to the north an alternate navigable route that connected the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans, which was called the Northwest Passage. It was an endeavor that had captured the imaginations of Arctic explorers for centuries and had fueled many expeditions to find it, starting with the explorations to find a route through North America by John Cabot in 1490 and continuing all the way through the 19th century. Such a passage was considered a pretty big deal in those days. Up until then, the only way to reach the Pacific from the Atlantic was a long, perilous journey around Cape Horn at the southernmost end of Chile and South America, or the equally treacherous passage around Africa's Cape of Good Hope. If anyone could find another way to cross from the Atlantic to the Pacific, then they could open up a very lucrative alternative trade route to the Orient and the Spice Islands. And it would be worth vast fortunes. The British, in particular, were convinced that such a route existed. And by the 19th century, they were absolutely obsessed with finding it. The Franklin Expedition was headed by John Franklin, a seasoned seaman and explorer who had joined the Royal Navy at the ripe old age of 16 and had fought in the Napoleonic Wars as well as completed three successful voyages to map the northern coast of Canada and northeastern Alaska. He was an esteemed captain who had received a knighthood for his work and had served a stint as the lieutenant governor of Van Diemen's Island, now known as Tasmania in Australia, before returning back to England to pursue Arctic exploration once again. Franklin had always been obsessed with the idea of the Northwest Passage and wanted to find it once and for all. To this end, he organized a two-ship expedition that would be comprised of the Eurobus and the Terror, two ships that had proved their mettle in exploration of an Antarctica, as well as 24 officers and 110 men. The Eurebus was to be commanded by James Fitzjames, and the Terror was placed under the command of Francis Crozier. While the whole expedition was under the experienced leadership of Franklin himself, despite his rather advancing age of 60. The expedition was very well prepared and equipped. Both the Eurebus, which was 19 years old, and the Terror, at 32, were considered to be very old ships, but underwent extensive renovations to transform them into some of the toughest and most advanced ships in the world. They were modified with reinforced masts, retractable rudders, and screw propellers, a first for Arctic ships, and fitted with powerful new steam engines that were very technologically advanced for the time. 
the ships were also tricked out with various other features that were considered to be advanced for their time, such as bows reinforced with thick beams of iron in order to make them able to withstand the rigors of the icy seas to which they were headed, and an internal steam-powered heating device to keep the crew warm. The whole expedition was also very well provisioned with three years worth of preserved and tinned food and stocked with extensive libraries of books as well as various other luxuries. He wasn't fooling around on this voyage, was he? With their high-tech gear in order, state-of-the-art steam-powered ships ready for action, and their expedition well-prepared and provisioned, the Eurebus and Terror headed out onto the high seas from Greenhithe, England, on the morning of May 19, 1845, after which they made a brief stop in Scotland for provisions before heading out across the Atlantic, bound for the frigid seas of the Arctic, to unmapped waters and the groundbreaking discovery that they were all convinced that they would make. With such impressive preparations and equipment, and under the leadership of men who were well-versed in Arctic exploration, no one suspected that anything could possibly ever go wrong. As the reveling crowds that had gathered to see them off watched with excitement and dreams of fortune as the ships slipped over the horizon, surely no one suspected that the Eurebus and Terror were destined to become one of the greatest lost expedition mysteries in history. The Franklin expedition was quickly beset with trouble and misfortune soon after departing England. Each of the ships had been packed to the limit with 65 crewmen each, resulting in cramped conditions that led to an irritable crew that were prone to arguments and fights. Disorderly conduct was rife among the vessels, which Franklin would not tolerate. The commander was notoriously strict about profanity and drunkenness, and five crewmen were sent home for drinking and swearing when the ships had stopped for provisions in Scotland before their trek across the Atlantic, essentially before the expedition had really even begun in earnest. I'm just going to say, how many of you out there would not have made it to Scotland, drinking and swearing? I'm raising my hand. I hope you are too. It's why we're friends. It just wasn't a good sign of things to come. Despite the low morale of the crew, Franklin managed to maintain control and get them across the Atlantic to Disco Bay on the west coast of Greenland, where the ships stocked up on fresh meat from oxen and other supplies. It would also be when the crew would write the last letters home that they would ever send. The expedition headed for Lancaster Sound, where they planned to begin their push into unknown territory. These were uncharted waters that they were about to try and tackle. Up to that point, various Arctic expeditions had gradually mapped out parts of the region, but there remained about 181,000 kilometers, roughly 70,000 square miles, of unnavigated, unmapped territory, and it was into this vast, great unknown that the Eurebus and Terror were about to journey. On July 26, 1845, Captain Dannard, master of the hull whaler Prince of Wales, saw the two ships in Disco Bay, waiting for clear conditions to enter Lancaster Sound. 
and it would be the last time that anyone from their homeland would see them alive again. When nothing was heard from the expedition for two years, their backers back home in England became concerned. Franklin's wife, Lady Jane Franklin, urgently pressed the Admiralty to do something, and a search was launched in 1848 to try and locate the missing expedition. The Admiralty spared no expense in their search, throwing every ship that they could spare into the hunt for the lost Franklin expedition, and in 1850 alone, a dozen ships were sent to find them. It was in this year that the first traces of relics of the expedition were found, with the discovery of the remains of a winter camp and the graves of several crew members. Both sea searches and overland searches were launched at great expense. Eventually, Americans became embroiled with the search too, as the president allowed naval vessels to be used in the hunt. Despite these efforts, no trace of the missing expedition was found save the winter camp and the Admiralty officially closed the search in 1857. But this by no means marked the end of the hunt for the missing Franklin expedition, which was still very much in the public eye. Propelled by curiosity and the promise of a finder's reward offered by the Admiralty, there were several expeditions launched to try and find the missing ships and any evidence of what had become of them. A few of these expeditions uncovered some tantalizing clues. In 1854, John Ray uncovered Inuit stories of 30 or 40 white men who had died of starvation and reportedly resorted to cannibalism as well as many artifacts including silver spoons that were all later identified as belonging to Franklin and his men. In 1855, another explorer by the name of James Anderson found further evidence of the expeditions when he discovered a piece of wood inscribed with the word Eurebus at the mouth of the Back River. An overland search launched from the steamship Fox, led by Royal Navy Lieutenant William Hobson in 1859 around the location of Ray's findings, turned up documents and messages left in a cairn on Victoria Point by the Lost Expedition that gave information on their progress up to April 1848. Among these messages was the somber news that Franklin himself had died on June 11, 1847, under unknown circumstances. The Fox Expedition also found various possessions from the Franklin crew, as well as the gruesome discovery of skeletons lying in the snow and decapitated skeletons in a boat tied to a sled made of ship's wood, as well as piles of discarded clothing on King William Island. Piled high on these sleds were numerous odd, non-essential items such as books, silk handkerchiefs, scented soap, sponges, slippers, hair combs, and teaspoons, although why the crew had decided that these were worth hauling over the ice clearly was a mystery. There were also many unopened cans of meat, which was also an odd thing to find considering the men had no doubt been starving by that point. It was a mystery as to what had happened. Although the exact fate of the Franklin expedition and the cause of their decline could not be discerned, the various findings and pieces of evidence uncovered by such search parties allowed a picture of what had befallen them to be gradually pieced together. 
it was revealed that in 1846, the Eurebus and Terror had had ideal open water conditions soon after entering the Lancaster Sound. With such pleasant weather on arrival and a fairly warm winter, the crew stayed put and spent this first winter camped out on Beachy Island. After this, it is believed that the camp was suddenly and inexplicably abandoned, leaving, a, leaving behind a cairn made of around 700 food tins filled with gravel, as well as the graves of three crewmen. The cause of death was not immediately apparent. After this first winter, the two ships had, been, had set forth south into Peel Sound and Franklin Strait, but were eventually caught in foul weather and ice. The ice refused to release its grip and the two ships essentially became icy prisons for their crew. For a year and a half, the crews lived trapped within their drifting ice-bound vessels in the bitter cold, far from any sign of civilization, until they finally abandoned ship on April 26, 1848. At that point, 24 men had died, including Franklin himself. The remaining 105 men, all haggard and starving, had then set off overland towards the Great Fish River, after which their fate is unknown. With no written records after this overland escape, the only evidence as to what had befallen the crew comes from the many stories from the native Inuit telling of starving white men dying on the ice and cannibalism. Some Inuit accounts tell of sinking ships, and others suggest that some crew members lived among them for up to a year. It's uncertain exactly what happened to these remaining survivors, but it is apparent that they all gradually perished in one way or another at some point during their overland journey out over the frigid wilderness. The ultimate fate of the Franklin expedition and the ships Eurebus and Terror, which have never been found, has become one of the great historical mysteries of the century. Various theories have been put forth over the years as to what happened to the doomed men after they set out over the ice. One of the most common ideas is that they simply starved to death. But it has been pointed out that there were still food supplies found with some of the men that had remained unopened. Additionally, the Inuit of the area were not against trading with outsiders for food and supplies, so why would the men have not traded the many supplies such as the spoons and other goods they carried for food? Surely many of the men would have died of starvation, the cold, illnesses such as pneumonia, accidents, but it seems strange that all 105 men would die in such short order considering that similar Arctic expeditions had survived such conditions before. A popular theory is that the men were beset by health problems due to ingesting high levels of lead in their canned food. The expedition's canned food provisions had been hastily prepared and cheaply soldered by provisioner Stephen Goldner. It's believed that this poor soldering allowed high levels of lead to seep into the food and cause a wide range of complications, including mental disorientation, confusion, and clouded judgment. 
This could explain some of the more bizarre decisions made by the crew, such as dragging heavy sleds with them overland piled with unnecessary items like books, silk handkerchiefs, and silverware, as well as their refusal to open some of the cans of meat even when starvation had gripped them to the point of cannibalism. Surely such mental deterioration would have hindered survival efforts. The poorly prepared canned food has also been blamed for perhaps causing an outbreak of botulism among the ill-fated crew, which would only have served to speed up their impending doom. Other theories claim that the survivors had become embroiled in a war with the Inuits, or even with each other, which could explain the grisly discovery of the headless skeletons. In the end, it was probably a combination of starvation, illness, extreme conditions, and malnutrition that all conspired to finish the crew off, but the exact circumstances and the bizarre findings surrounding the deaths have never been completely explained. In addition, many of the bodies have never been recovered or accounted for, and remain somewhere out there in the frozen, barren graves. As to the whereabouts of the ships themselves, it has long been thought that they would have broken up in the jagged ice of the Arctic ice and sunk. Various searches have been conducted over the years for wreckage of the ships, with large swaths of the Arctic seabed meticulously searched for any signs of them without success. The Canadian government alone has sent six such expeditions since 2008 and claims to have found wreckage of one of the ships in the far northern Nunavut province. Although it is not clear if the ship that was found is the Eurebus, the Terror, or indeed whether it is either one of them at all. Whether one of the ships has really been found or not, the other is still at large and very likely gone forever. One of the greatest mysteries of the Lost Franklin Expedition is the complete lack of written records, except the scant documents found at the cairn at Victoria Point. Why would there not be more documentation on such an important expedition? Common practice of the day would have dictated that each ship have two sets of duplicate records, outlining the entire documentation. So where did they go? It's believed that such papers must exist somewhere, but as of yet, none have been found, and they seem to have suffered the same mysterious fate as everything else on the expedition. It's likely the contents of such papers will just never be known. And it's a shame, as such a cache of documents would shed an enormous amount of light on the case. The Lost Franklin Expedition poses many mysteries. What exactly happened to these men? Why did they set out over the tundra heavily laden with unessential goods like scented soap, slippers, silk handkerchiefs, and silver spoons? What happened to the rest of the bodies that have never been found? Why were there skeletons that had apparently been decapitated? And where is Franklin's final resting place? Did any of the crew perhaps survive the ordeal somehow? Where are the ships? And if one has been found, then where is the other one? Where are the written documents or the ship's logs? The secrets to all of these questions remain out there in the cold Arctic wasteland. The Lost Franklin Expedition has been called one of the longest-running cold cases in maritime history, and it doesn't seem to be much closer to being solved than it was 170 years ago. 
And with that, my darlings, we've come to the end of the episode. I thank you for joining me here today, and I hope you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think. You can always reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, just want to tell me what you think, you need somebody to talk to and you're lonely, drop me a line. I do reply to every single email. And on that note, that's all the time I have for you this evening. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio, and don't forget to tune in next time, my darlings. See you, my heathens. I love you. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.